on because I didn't know how to deal with people before I got here. I didn't know how to deal with myself. I'm the grateful alcoholic, and I say that from gut level. I don't want to leave out anyone but Betty and all of you that came to be with me this weekend, and even Grace. I was privileged to pray with her this morning. It's such a privilege to be with Varys and all of you that have met me along the way. And I met my brother here today. Oh, I just love him. Every time I look at him, I think of my brother. I only have the one brother. And it was a privilege to be with him and his missus, too, this weekend. All of you young dudes that came out to be with me, I thank you. I've been praying for two Andes, two drunken Andes, and a one Dan that sat in the middle. I've been praying all night for you, that God will touch you. And I saw the difference in one of the Andes yesterday as I met him coming down the corridor. God works in this fellowship. God is above this fellowship, whether you like it or not. And when I learned to put one hand in his and the other one I kept in the fellowship, I didn't have a hand to pick up a drink. And some woman said she would have. She said she would have sucked it through a straw. So if you're gonna get it, what can I tell you? What can I tell you? There was a minister preaching. He said, "If you drink alcohol, you're doomed to die." And the little old lady down front, she said, "Amen." He said, "If you smoke those cigarettes, you're doomed to die." And the little old lady, she said, "Amen." He said, "Now, if you chew tobacco." She said, look at that. He stopped preaching and gone to meddling. So I'm going <laughs> to go to meddling. I have to tell you before I start to say anything, I just love you. You've been my life. You helped me, like I said at the beginning, when I didn't know any help was for me. I'm from the streets of New York. I didn't come in here from a bedroom. I came from the streets of New York. I was born in Brooklyn, raised in Manhattan, and you know, my mom made my first drink. She made rice wine that she received from the welfare, rice and raisins and large crockery. And she left my girlfriend and myself to sieve this rice wine through cheesecloth. The difference was that Marion sieved and sipped two drinks and she went home. Not me, I stood there and sieved and sipped. And I sieved and I sipped. And I sieved and I sipped. And I sieved and I sipped. And I put on a drunk at 12 that was a drunk. And I ran around the next day snapping my little fingers and telling my friends, whoo, what a ball I had. And I don't even remember what the hell happened. <laughs> and that began to be the pattern of my life. If you didn't drink to get drunk and pass out, then I didn't deal with you. I could never stand anybody who took a drink and stood there for a half hour with it. You got on my last nerve, so I didn't bother with you. And of course now, at the age of 14, I was selling King Kong booze. And I want you to believe it was King Kong. It stood you straight and it knocked the hell out of you too. And they told me to take mayonnaise, olive oil, butter, cream, line yourself up like they tell you to eat a good meal. Well, that King Kong was so powerful, it went all through the mayonnaise, the olive oil, the butter, the cream. So I stopped taking that sick stuff. And I drank plenty of liquor. And I made good money. I put a better table and put little shoes on my brothers and sisters instead of sneakers all the time. And do you know, I had to be padlocked into a side room at a certain hour when I got drunk for my safety. Of course now... I'm laying out the window one night, 
I live one flight up and I see this sharp dude. Lord, he was so sharp, I almost fell out the window. <laughs> oh. And he had a roll of money. And I said, whoop, there's a live one. You know, I was always looking for a live one. Now, I look for the live ones in AA, too. I don't look for no deadheads in AA. <laughs> I don't deal with the deadheads. I'm sorry, I don't. And so I went down and latched onto this fine dude. Oh, God, he was so fine. Ten years older than myself. And he had this roll of money, and I found out it was a $5 bill around a lot of ones. <laughs> but I latched on to him anyway. And I started to go from uptown Manhattan down to the Lower East Side. I gave everybody a play so they would give me a play. Now I'm 14 years old, and I'm drinking, I'm partying, I'm hanging out. And I asked my mother, would she sign for me to marry this man? And she says, oh, no, dear, over my dead body. That man will have you out in the street, and you'll live a horrible life with that man. Well, I found out something about myself at the age of 14. Don't you ever, but never, tell me what not to do. <laughs> there is something in my nature when you tell me what I can't do, I'm going to show you, I'm going to do it if I pay every price. I thank God till this moment that AA suggested everything to me. Because if they hadn't suggested, I wouldn't be here. Nobody ever told me what to do in here. They suggested things to me. And so I quit school at 14. I took sleep-in jobs. I was drunk every Thursday and Sunday. At the age of 17, I left New York with this very man. Same man, because you told me I can't have him. And I'm going to show you I'm going to have him. So I left New York, and I went to Baltimore, Maryland. On the third day of January, 1939, I was standing in the courthouse being married. I was crying my heart out. And the minister said, my dear young lady, would you mind telling me just what you're crying about? I said, well, at last I got him. Well, I want to tell you something. That was the sorriest day of Mr. Bailey's life. When he said, I do, to Liz Ulrich, Mr. Bailey never stopped crying. From January 3rd, 1939, till he went home with the Lord, August the 12th, 1986. That was a sorry day for that man. Now, I came back to New York with the marriage license just to fly in. I'm 17 now. And this marriage license meant to me no more mama, no more neighbors, nobody was going to tell me how to live. Whoo, I'm 74 now. Could you all picture what I was at 17? Whoo! <laughs> I'm going to tear up New York. I got a marriage license and I got a husband. Got back to New York and my husband gave up every liquor joint. He gave up gambling. He gave up hustling. He gave up going to parties. And he sat down. And he sat down from January 3rd, 1939. <laughs> till he went home with the Lord, August the 12th, 1986. And I couldn't take that sitting down. I couldn't take it. And so I started to nurse my drinks all through the week, look forward to weekend drunks, rounded up eight sets of people where we had kegs of beer at that time and bottles of booze, and I looked forward to every weekend for a drunk. Now I watched a change come over me. I began to curse. Woo, every word came out of my mouth was a curse word. I watched another change. I began to fight. I began to fight everything and everybody. 
I watched another change. I began to leave that house, and I never called it a home. And I had every material thing any woman would want on this earth. Mr. Bailey, after we got married, went back into the fur business. And girls, I had furs like you'd have beans. Because every time I had a period of dryness, he'd make me another fur coat. And one year, he made me the most gorgeous leopard coat you ever laid your eyes on. He threw a party for the job even, and he brought the coat home, and he threw it out on the bed. And I looked at that leopard coat, and I hated it. I gave it away. I said he made it so he could spot me anywhere. (laughs) I wished I had that coat today in many years. It was so beautiful. And, of course, now, I'm beginning to watch another change. I'm beginning to leave my house from one day to three weeks at a time, watching me going down. And this is, I want to stress this. You know, I didn't want to live like this. I didn't understand any of this. And I was always on my knees to Mr. Bailey. Daddy, please, please forgive me. I don't want to be like this. And then I would be bargaining with God. Don't let me get into as much trouble the next time. And I have to tell you, the progression was so that nothing ever got better. It got worse. And I'm watching me go down. And you've got to remember that when I was out in the streets drinking, nobody was talking alcoholism. I never heard the word. Nobody talked sobriety. I never heard the word. They didn't just talk like that. Not the people I was around. And all I said, I said, good morning, what we drinking? I said, didn't I just say good morning, what we chipping in for? That's the kind of language I was used to. And then I watch now. I remember one of my neighbors pulling me up on the carpet. She says, I'm very much ashamed to live next door to somebody like you. I bought this house to get away from people like you. What is the matter with you? I said, oh, I suffer with my nerves. And she suggested that I drink rum. Isn't that nice? (laughs) I left that woman standing in my little bitty kitchen, and I ran around to the Empire Liquor Store, and I bought a bottle of rum. Now, I lived in Jamaica, Long Island at the time. Can one of you please tell me before I leave this earth, How did I wake up in Brycliffe, New York with the bottle of rum? I don't know how I got to Brycliffe, New York. A beautiful lady took me into her home off the streets up there. And uh, I became a bulls fighter in her home. I'd put a shot in my coffee in the morning. I'd call it Coffee Royal. I would hide the bottle. I don't care where I hid it. I found it. By the time the end of the day the lady was coming home from work, I'd be so drunk. And the poor soul, she didn't know what to do with me. I became so ashamed. The guilt and the remorse was just about killing me because here I've done it again. I've done it again. And I don't want to do it again. And she sat me down by the fire one night. And she said to me, you know, Liz, you're a lovely person. But drinking is your problem. I put my husband out of here for his drinking. And she filled me with so much guilt and remorse. As I said, I wanted to die. I decided I would sit in the Catholic Church all day just so I wouldn't touch a drink, that I could peel this lady's potatoes and at least get her dinner started for her. Well, I did. I sat in the church all day to 4 o'clock. I walk out of the church and I walk straight into the bar. And every one of you can identify with this. You don't have to compare. It's identification. Give me one to relax. I'm going to peel this lady's potatoes. Yes, I am. I'm going to do a decent thing. Give me two to get started. Because I've got to peel these potatoes. 
And you know, when I drank, they gave a third free drink. So you don't walk out on a free drink. That's not nice. You don't walk out on a free one. Then I got to buy one back to look good. That was important that I look good to the barmaid or the bartender. Then when I get to the fifth drink, the hell with her and her potatoes. Let's roll. So you know, the lady never got any potatoes. I called up, Mr. Bailey banged the phone, but I called my neighbor who was taking care of my children. I was very fortunate that way. I had beautiful neighbors who took care of my children while I was off on my trips. Now, Mr. Bailey banged up the phone, and I called my neighbor, and she said, Liz, please come home. Judy won't eat, and she keeps calling for you. I said, okay. So a cold winter March night, I went back home. And when I got back to the house, Mr. Bailey had my things all in a brown bag and a shopping bag and he threw me out the front door and now I'm sleeping down in unfinished basements. Don't drink down there. Don't smoke down there. And I'd go in the day, take care of my children and back to these basements at night until he would let me back in. Well, I continued to drink. One morning I woke up, my head was coming off my body. Identification again for you. It was coming off. I took Anderson's Alka-Seltzer, BC's. I put a raw egg in the beer. I did everything to straighten my head up. I couldn't get it straightened. And I reached over and grabbed the Bible off my night table. And Mr. Bailey passed by and he said, Put that Bible down, you hypocrite. Put it down. Twenty minutes to an hour, you'll be so drunk. You'll be slapping one of the kids down. You'll be hopping a cab. And the cab drivers used to say, please, please take somebody else's cab. Don't take my cab. <laughs> Took me three days to clean up my cab behind you. I wanted to know who the hell did he think he was. I paid 50 cents to get in that cab. Don't tell me who to take. Oh, he was right. I'd swing a corner. I didn't even know what corners I was swinging myself. And of course, now, this is the first time I thought of suicide. I literally ran and jumped up in the second floor window. And as I'm standing directly in this window, getting ready to throw my body down into the yard, there's a little lady named Nana Backer in the yard, and she spots me standing in the window. Mr. Bailey! Mr. Bailey! You better get her! She's going to jump! His head comes out the next window, which was the kitchen window. I saw his hand come out. He said, Nana, will you let that bitch jump? He said, I'll be rid of all my problems. My troubles let that bitch jump. Well, I looked over at him. I wanted to know who did he think he was. I guarantee every one of you I got down out of that window. I got back into bed and I pulled the sheet over me and slept that one off. You know, the nerve of him, you know. And of course, I continued to drink. Now I began to hit hospitals. Broken fingers, third degree burns. Girls, please don't ever fry a frozen chicken drunk. I hit the grease over on both of my legs and the good sisters every other day and Mary Macklin was fixing my legs and these legs stayed like raw meat till I came to AA. Don't you ever tell me AA doesn't have healing rooms. He is healing in here. And so of course now I asked Mr. Bailey one night I came in on a $2 beer drunk. I said to him, would you do me a favor, see me up to the bed and shut your mouth because he's screaming, no dinner again, and you know I don't want to hear that. And I, I said, see me up to the bed and don't talk to me. Say, say little as possible, you know. And I remember him getting me up to the third step. I woke up, I, I had a black slack suit on that day and a gold coat. 
I woke up, I was stretched out on a bench, a policeman was sitting at the foot of me, my front teeth, two teeth is going back and forth like this, there's blood all over me, I don't know where I'm at. And a big man is standing up in the doorway doing like this to me. And I love what I heard one of the speakers said this weekend. I was called in and asked questions. Don't you ever tell me that there's not a higher power because how I answered those questions, I don't know. I really don't know. But he said to Mr. Bailey, take her home. And I said to Mr. Bailey, don't you lay down. Don't lay down. I'm going to get you if you lay down for taking me to some Kings County. Do you know that man sat up in chairs for three nights? You don't blame him, do you? He sure did. He sat up three nights before he got enough nerve to lay down. And, of course, I continued to drink. And I said to him one night, maybe if you drank with me. Haven't you non-alcoholics heard that? Because Mr. Bailey was a non-alcoholic. He was too cheap to be a drunk, I'll tell you that. I said, maybe if you drank with me, I wouldn't want to drink so much in Rome. So he bought a bottle of Gordon's gin. And we laid up in the TV room, and the bottle got like this at 11 o'clock. I panicked. And I took my elbow, and I hit him. I said, would you run around and get another bottle before the liquor store closed? He said, not me, Liz. I had enough. You know I wanted to kill him, don't you? You ever see an Indian on a rampage at 2 in the morning? Up, dress, out, zoom. Aren't you afraid to go underneath the Long Island Railroad? Who the hell is thinking about the railroad? I wasn't thinking about the railroad. I was getting the Sutton's Blind Grill, fill my Coca-Cola bottle, and sit there and close up the place. I continued to drink. I continued to watch myself go down. Nobody was talking about alcohol or alcoholism. And, of course, now Mr. Bailey came to me one day. He says, you know you're the nicest wife when you're sober. But drunk, you're a Jekyll and a Hyde. Why don't you try this AA? When you desire a drink, run over to the phone and pick up the phone and call someone to talk you out of the drink. Uh, I'm not going into my character defect, but you know what I told him to do with AA, though, don't you? <laughs> I tell him to each his own. I'm drinking this stuff, and you don't want for nothing. And you take that AA and, you know, and he did. He took it. Dr. Granite just said to him, I want you to go home and tell Mrs. Bailey. She's either going to drink herself to death. She'll drink herself into a mental institution. There were no halfway houses. There was no therapy or counselors or nothing like that out there for me. There was three hospitals, and I didn't even know about them till I got in here. Towns, Knickerbocker, and St. John's. No insurance was paying for anybody. And if you even died from alcoholism, they put pneumonia. They didn't put alcoholism because the insurance would not have paid. They would have not have paid for you to be buried. And so there again, after I cursed Mr. Bailey out, he never but never mentioned AA again to me. And that's another thing I love about AA. We attract you. We don't promote you in here. I love it when I cross this country and other islands and things where they say, I want what you got. I said, if you want what I got, stay in here. This is where I got it, and this is where I keep it, right in here, these rooms. One lousy hour and no dues or fees saved my life. I think about that so often, you see. And there again, Mr. Bailey walked away, eight to ten months, and I'm going to say something that you're not going to like. Anytime 
that you cross an Alcoholics Anonymous door sill, you'll never drink or drug in peace again. You can't do it because you're sitting this morning in the solution. And you're sitting here this morning because you want to sit here. And if you don't want to sit here, you're going to get something that's going to shock you to death. You'll never be the same. That's what AA rooms do to me. And there again, I watch me go down. And I'm going to tell you about my last drink. I'm drinking with hard two-fist drinkers at the VFW Hall. And I was expecting a lady to come and visit me to sell some insurance for the house. I got up and it was in July. And I straightened up and I made the salads and I left the dusting to last. And the telephone rang and it was one of the guys from the post. I heard his voice and I banged the phone down. He called me back the second time. I said, man, don't bug me. Leave me alone. See, I know me now. I know me. Once I pick up that drink, any good intention that I had went right down the drain with me in the drink. Never could I keep it the promise. Never. And I remember I banged the phone upon him. He called me back the second time. I said, please don't bug me. There's a lady coming. I haven't seen her since I'm eight years old. And I really want to stay here and see her today. I banged the phone the second time. I went to the store and I came back. He was on the phone for the third time. He said, Liz, do me a favor. Hop a cab. I'll introduce you to the people. I'll put you back in the cab and I'll send you home to your company. I figured, let me do that. He's going to drive me up a wall today. He's not going to let me stay in this house. So I got the cab and I went over to the post. The booze started lining up and the jukebox is going and I'm singing, you always hurt the one you love. The one you don't want to hurt at all. Give me another drink. Smile if you're happy. Give me another drink. I can sing them old Weeping Harry songs. As I said, I'm 74 and I haven't seen Miss Lynn Baum till yet. And I forgot what the lady even looks like. And I've been hoping for years I'd see her in one of these rooms, to tell you the truth. I woke up in one of my son's twin beds. I had two boys and a girl. And I thought even having children would help me stop drinking, but it didn't. And there again, at the foot of this bed stood my mom and Mr. Bailey. And my mom's got her head going like this. And she's screaming to the rooftop, somebody done done something to her. Somebody done done something to her. And I look over at Mr. Bailey, he got his head shaking. And he's saying, no mom, no mom, nobody's done anything to her. She happens to be a very sick girl. Ooh, my name was bitch. And he said, girl. I got right up out of that bed because something went all over me and I went to the basement of the house. I stayed in the basement for two days praying to die. I wanted out. The second night in the basement, I looked at my son, my oldest son. He was 12 years old at the time. I said, Richard, I can't live like this. This is not the way I want to live. Look at this. You can't depend on me for anything. I'm going to go up on the Long Island Railroad. I'm going to jump in front of a train. And I'm just going to end it all. 
And I started to scream and, oh, God, oh, God, please help me. And if you notice, every drunk that gets up here on this platform or any other platform calls on God at the end. Notice it as you grow along. Every one of us, because he said, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that I'm the Lord. You watch it. Watch it. I've watched it. And he said, and I cried out to God, and God answered me. Just like this. He said, Liz, try this AA. Try this AA. And I said to Richard, I'm going to try this AA that your father told me about. I took the telephone book down. I called up AA. And at that time, there were very, very, very few women in AA. I am so grateful to God to see you women come out of the closets. Stay, stay out of the closets, please. It's a shame. It's not a shame to be an alcoholic. It's a shame when you don't do anything about it. That's where the shame comes in. But it is a disease. And I called. They didn't have anyone to send me. And I got myself together and I went into Manhattan because I live in Queens. I got into Manhattan and I started up the stairs, which was over a bar. Intergroup was over a bar. I said, the hell with this. Let me go get me a drink. And then I said, no, you've taken bus, subway, you've run a couple of blocks, try to get up the stairs again. I got into the middle of the landing. And as I went to turn to go down into the bar, as I sobered up, I could see that the higher power was right there with me. Because when I went to turn to go down into the bar, this lady looked down the stairs and she said, Are you having trouble? I said, Yes, ma'am. She must have been watching me coming in from the front window. I ran up the stairs to her. She escorted me into the front part of the office and she sat me down. And she started to tell me about her life. <gasps> oh, my God, who talks about themselves like this? My mother says, put it in a closet, in a drawer, under a rug. Don't you dare go out and tell nobody where you got the black eyes, the busted mouths, or the fights in your house. Don't you dare do that. And I'm saying, my God, why don't she put this stuff in a garbage can and make sure she got a lid on it, you know? Because I would never tell you about myself before I came to AA. I didn't have time anyway. But there again... Uh, she says to me, you know, Liz, it's the first drink. I says, oh, come on, sweetie, I've been drinking for 19 years. She said, Liz, when you pick up one drink of any type of alcohol, watch those five percenters. Watch your cough medicine. Watch food that's even cooked with alcohol. Because she said it's only a matter of time that a compulsion builds up inside of you that you have to go all the way. And I said, isn't she right? I've seen myself take two drinks on a Monday. Wonderful. Two lousy drinks on a Tuesday. You're looking for me. Wednesday, I'd go to Gert's department store. I'd buy a fifth. I drank the whole fifth. Nothing happened. Oh, I done found a brand I can drink. You know I ran back Thursday and got another bottle, don't you? Friday, I'm knitting without needles. Have any of you knitted without needles? <laughs> but I'm walking up and down and I'm knitting. And I've got to go get that drink to get me back in focus. And she said, we do it one five minutes, one ten minutes, one hour, one day at a time. 
We do it with meetings, 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 meetings. And we do it with a sponsor. Now, when I came to AA, there was 150,000 members. Today, you have over 3 million members. Don't you, not one of you in here tell me you can't find a sponsor. <laughs> can't tell me that. There's got to be somebody good for you in one of these rooms. Search it out. And then she gave me the choice of two meeting places. Oh, I can't go there. My children go there. to St. Benedict's. Then I said, so what if the priest see you? He must know that you need help. And if it's in the church, it must be for something good. I don't know about you girls, but my hair used to stay drunk. I couldn't keep my hair right for nobody. Mr. Bailey would give me money for clothes. I never looked too tough because I wanted to drink up the money. And so I bought a little two-piece blue suit, and I had my hair fixed, and I go to my first AA meeting. And as I'm walking towards the girls behind the coffee counter, I'm only mimicking them, they looked up at me and said, you don't look like an alcoholic. I said, what the hell did I get myself into? Let me get the hell out of here. And when I came to AA, we kept two people at the door at all times. And as I'm running out the door, this man hits me over on the shoulder, and he says to me, what's the matter with you? Where are you going? I said, those girls said I don't look like an alcoholic. I don't know what an alcoholic looks like. I said, but I'm about to lose my mind, my home, my children, and everything through drinking. He said, have a seat, sweetie. You in the right place. <laughs> and they put two tables like this together that night. And they each sat around and they shared their strength, their hope, and their experience with me. It's but for the grace of God. Every one of us in here are through the grace of God, whether you like it or not. Whether you like it or not. Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, Alateen, Alatot, OA, GA, PA. N-A, E-A, the only A I won't speak at is Sex Anonymous. I was called to Seattle, Washington to speak, but I will not put my sex life on that tape to go across the United States because I still have a family, okay? I just celebrated July the 11th. I came in July the 11th, 1952, and I just celebrated 43 years away from my last <laughs> I came in here at the age of 31, but really, I was 13. Mentally, physically, spiritually beaten to a bottom that I couldn't go any lower. Couldn't do it. And you saved my life. You talked my language that I could understand. Three carloads of you came home with me July the 11th, 1952, and today, it's August, what, the 24th, I think, something like that. 27. Huh? I've never been a day, not a day, without a drunk in my life. You're my life. You're my family. You're everything. And I thank God when you told me to get sober for me, not for my mother. I'd have been drunk, drunk, drunk if I'd have gotten sober for my mother. Good morning, Reverend Bailey. How are you? And where are you speaking at next, Reverend Bailey? It took that lady 29 and a half years to tell me to stay with them A's, whatever they are. 
I don't plan to leave these days. And you can call it anything you want. I am not leaving. You gave me my life. Mr. Bailey couldn't stand me sober. He took the first ten years, and I mean he worked overtime to try to get me back into the streets of New York. But you see, you didn't tell me to stay sober for Mr. Bailey. Thirty-three years ago, I had the honor and privilege of speaking for our late co-founder, Bill Wilson. And when Mr. Bailey heard me speak for Bill, he shook my hand. He said I did a good job. But when we arrived back at the house, he banged every pot on the stove and he screamed, I've got to get rid of you and this sobriety. I can't take it another minute. And you know what? I sat with the third and the eleventh step. That's your decision maker. Go and be still to know that I'm the Lord so you can listen to him. You can't listen to him if you're in noise or somebody else is running them out. Go and get quiet. Three and eleven is your decision maker. And God spoke to me just like I'm speaking to you. If you pick up one drink, you don't have Liz. I don't. If you pick up one drink, you don't have Mr. Bailey, and I didn't have him anyway. And when I pick up one drink, I am not in that house. I get out of that house so fast. So that I can drink in peace. And so I left Mr. Bailey 33 years ago sitting in a $60,000 house. I moved to a room, room and kitchenette. Then to an apartment. I moved all around Mr. Bailey. I didn't ever be without him in that sense. But there again, nine years ago, I went back to Mr. Bailey to take care of him in his last days. And I didn't realize till I got sober how much I loved Mr. Bailey. I won't even let the man die if you all notice it. He's got eternal life with me. <laughs> Believe me. And I am so grateful that I could go back and take care of him in his last days, night and day. He says, how do you do this? I said, with love. With love. He told me one day in the hospital, Liz, would you please take my hand? And I took his hand. He says, I want to thank you for coming here feeding me every day and for taking care of me. He said, because I would have been dead a long time ago if it hadn't been for you. He says, I really love you. Ooh, I jumped up and down and screamed. I said, Lord, it took me 47 years to hear it. Don't give up, girls, before the miracle. Don't give up. Don't give up. Hang in there. Unless it makes you really dis at ease with yourself, then you make a decision. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. But there again, I was grateful to get that. Now, I have that oldest son I told you about. He's 55 years old today. May 7th, he made 55. He let me know that he will never forgive me or forget me for my past. I hate your living guts. And up until May this year, I've only seen and spoken to my son eight times in 43 years he has such a hate for me and you know I had to find a higher power in this fellowship and I found one it took me five years the first five years I cursed God I cursed him and I stayed sick even though I didn't drink I made seven meetings a week and three times on Sunday I picked a tough sponsor and when I'd cry to her, she'd say to me, listen, Liz Bailey, AA don't need you, but you need AA. <laughs> oh, <that's bad. laughs> 
And then I'd go back and whine some more to her, and she said, sit on the pot or get up off it. She didn't say it that nice, you know, but... Mm. And she was my sponsor for 28 years. I really miss her. I have another sponsor now who has 20 years of quality sobriety. I will not be in this fellowship without a sponsor, because we can do together what I could never do alone. And people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. And I need you, whether you need me or not. I need you so that I can survive. Can't do it by myself. Don't want to do it by myself. Don't have to do it by myself. Expose myself to this love. And there again, I kept coming back. Made seven meetings a week, three times on Sunday. And there, I love my son. But I found the God. And like I said, Liz, if you want to keep this gift, do you all really realize, I want you to realize, I couldn't be standing here today without God. I could not be doing the work that I do in AA without God. I have to have him in my life. And I was so grateful that when I started to put one hand in his, and I had the other one in AA, and I started on this terrific journey. What a journey. And you know, some I said, I don't have a hand to pick up a drink. And so some girl said she'd have sucked it through a straw. So if you're going to get it, you're going to get it. But you'll never drink and drug in peace again. I'm sorry to again say that. I'll repeat that over and over again. You've messed yourself up. You really messed yourself up. So I kept coming. And I found a God that has forgiven me. I had to forgive myself first. In the ignorance of alcoholism, I knew nothing of alcoholism. I didn't come from that kind of living. God has forgiven Liz Bailey 70 times 7. And he will forgive you 70 times 7. But you must first forgive yourself. And you know any man, any woman, any child want to hold my past over my head has to be their problem. It is definitely not mine. I had a son that was an alcoholic and an addict. And see, Al-Anon helped me with that. If I don't know how to take care of myself or about me, what do I know about you? And I needed help in that department. And I used to say to Dennis, Dennis, the right road may be hard, but you'll be the winner. The easy road, the price is heavy. Dennis was shot and killed 25 years ago, June 25th. I don't cry for Dennis, never have in these 25 years. Because my Bible teaches me not let your heart be troubled. In my father's house there are many mansions. And I went to prepare a place for Dennis. And Dennis is fine. And I don't cry for the dead. This is me I'm talking about. Because you disturb their beautiful spirit. And I will meet Dennis one day. I'm looking forward to that one day. I have a beautiful daughter. She's 48. She was five years old when I came to AA. I thank my God till this moment that she doesn't remember me as an active alcoholic. Because she would have used my life to hurt her life. Can I ask you parents that are in this room this morning to be a role model for your children? Please be a decent role model for them. Because our children are lost today. I don't even look at TV because it's sad how they disrespect their parents. 
and the morals are sad. They clap over the darndest things that I would go under a chair for. Be a role model. It's good to be a sober role model. Judy is just coming out of her sixth mental breakdown. And I've had to be right there with all six of them. And I've had to use the principles. Use the principles and it tells you in all your affairs. Not just in AA. Use the principles. I have a beautiful AA baby. She's 39. I named her after AA, Adrian Anita. And I want to say this. She's the most gorgeous thing I've ever had as a gift given to me in sobriety. She turned to be a Muslim about 18 years ago. She wears the shroud. She covers her beautiful face. And we went into A.M.P. I had a black hat on, the black suit on. And the cashier says, oh, it's a stick-up. It's a stick-up. <laughs> I got hysterical and went to the floor. <laughs> Coming back on the subway, she says, mother, are you accepting me as a Muslim? I said, you join Hoodism, Buddhism, I don't really care whose ism, <laughs> as long as it helps you be a better person. And that's a slogan that will help you in AA too. Live and let live. Live your life to the fullest and allow other people to live theirs any way they choose. It'll free you. It'll free you. That's another reason why I love Al-Anon. I didn't cause anything. I can't cure anything. And I definitely can't control it. And I love M-Y-O-B. Woo! Mind your own business. Lord, that is a thing that's so good. It is so good. You'll feel good. Minding your own business. M-Y-O-B. Try it. It works fine. Yes, it do. And there again, I have 12 grandchildren that I see by appointment only. <laughs> And I really mean that. I am through raising children. I don't want to raise any more children. I have two great-grandchildren that I never dreamt that I could have. And I've got to tell you about my little three-year-old grandchild. They call her Umi in Muslim. She says, Umi, what are you cooking? Umi says, I'm frying fish. I don't like fish, Umi. I like chicken. My daughter said, you better go pray about it. So she walked the right way with her little hands up, and she came back. She said, Omi, did that fish turn to chicken yet? <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> My friend worked for John Hancock, and he came out from work one day with a pocket full of money. And the guy says, stick him up. He said, man, don't you see I got a disease? And the guy ran from him. He said, Liz, he didn't even give me a chance to tell him I'm an alcoholic. And I used to hate that word disease when I got here. And I looked it up in my dictionary, and it says, dis at ease with oneself on higher power. And if you haven't got one, please get one. Because that's the only way you're going to make it, with a peace within yourself. God grant me the peace to accept the things that I can't change. Courage. Where do I get the courage to? Prayer and meditation. To change the things that I can. I had
had to do something this week before I got here that I didn't like doing. I've been raising a 14-year-old grandson. I used to always ask that how could Sarah have a baby at 92 because I was scuffling with this 14-year-old. He went off last week while I was in Louisiana. Where was I last week? Over here. Tennessee. And he stayed four days. Nobody knew where he was. I finally got a phone number and I called and the lady who was keeping him answered me. I said, is Robert there? She said, yes. I said, how could you keep my son and grandson in your home for four days without his mother or his, um, his nanny, his guardian? You didn't ask any of us, could you keep him there for four days? She said, well, he keeps calling here. I said, I don't care how much he calls there. You're not supposed to keep this minor like that. Send him home. She said, you want to talk to him on the phone? I said, no, I want to look in his face. I don't want to talk on no phone. Send him home. And this was last Monday. You know, I'm going to tell you something. You can talk to people and talk to people and talk to people. They don't hear you. They don't hear you. And they figured, I figured he said, well, my nanny loved me, so she's going to take me back. He got the shock of his life Monday night when he came back. Pack your things. Pack them. Because I know if I let him get away with this four days, he'll pull it again on me. I'm a drunk. I did it. I did it. And you see, his mother is not a good example for him. Because she lived with a guy that goes off for a week. And when he come back, she's saying, oh, I just love you, and I'm ready to batter in the mouth. See? And this is what this kid sees. He feels that if Tony can do it, then I can do it. No, no, not with Liz Bailey, you don't. Not with Nanny, you don't. If you feel that it's better out there for four days, that's where you go. And I put him in God's hands. I didn't like doing that. I know even my addict son. I told him, don't bring a drug addict in my house. No needles, nothing. You ain't making me lose my home. And the first one I see in here, out you go. Honey, he pulled one of those tricks. And I, he said, oh, he told the guy, I goofed. I said, you sure have. Because I got one time to live and one time to die. Get up out of here. And if I see you in my house again or in the neighborhood, I'll have you locked up. And I said to my son, and get your stuff. You're making me lose my home. You lost yours? No, you're not going to make me lose mine. And, he, and I hated it when I saw him walk away from my house with his head down. And if you want to call that tough love, that's what I got, tough love. I love them. But I will not allow them to walk all over me. And Gay has a button I wish she'd show you. Because that button thrilled me and Marsha yesterday. Because <laughs> I had just told Marsha, because she asked me about Robert. Robert will be fine, but some of us have to learn the hard way. And I'll tell you another nice thing about AA. It'll get so good in here for you that you can't handle it. And I notice when it gets good for many alcoholics, they have to blow it every time. My friend down here handed me a button yesterday, and I love him for that button. When it gets that good, get a good attitude for yourself, get some gratitude for yourself, and it'll keep you in recovery. It will keep you in recovery. Attitude plus gratitude equals recovery. Go to the meeting you don't want to go to. 
That's the one you get the zinger every time. Now, I admit and I accept and I surrender to the fact that I'm an alcoholic. I used to walk around AA shaking my little self, telling everybody I had a choice to drink. If you get the book as Bill sees it, Bill tells you in there, if you admit, accept, and surrender to the fact that you are an alcoholic, you have no choice to drink. Not if you want to live this fantastic life. And AA is all about the joy of living. Didn't tell you to come in here and drop dead. Child, I go out there and I just do my thing. You know? I have a good time in AA. I have a good time everywhere I go. I set it up. I keep a sign in my house. Have a good day unless you've made other plans. (laughs) You want to be miserable? You can be miserable. You want to be happy? You can be happy. It's all within you. And the greatest thing that ever happened to me in Alcoholics Anonymous is when I learned that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Woo, that is something to learn. That you can talk to your higher power any time, any place. I go up in these planes. I've been in planes four times this month. I got a change in Pittsburgh. I got to come up and come down and change and all this stuff. One air pair. I'm 74. What's your problem? <laughs> That's what I've been doing all this month. Started off talking in Canada. Came back and went to Missouri. Came back and went to Tennessee. Came back and came down here to Kentucky. Getting ready now to go to Indiana. Getting ready to go back up to Canada to speak for their 50th anniversary. They told me never to say no to anybody who asked anything of me in this fellowship. In this fellowship. Because it's so true. In the giving, you receive. In the giving, you keep. It's beautiful. Beautiful. I've gone up and had three operations in six weeks. The doctor says to me, you've got cancer. He said, I'm going to give you just six months to live. I said, "Uh uh-uh, you don't talk to me like that. (laughs) I'm in a fellowship that teaches me I live one day at a time. I'm now an arrested cancer patient, 40, 28 years, because I was 46 years old when I had it. I just finished two years ago because I had to cancel out some speaking engagements. That's the only way I cancel them out is if the ambulance is taking me. Otherwise, I, I'm, I'm responsible today. I love that. I love the sign that Bill has. I am responsible today. When anyone, anywhere, reaches out their hand for us, he wants us to be there. And I love that. And I had this operation, the ninth operation, and um, I thought I was dying because they had cut holes all in me and put tubes everywhere. And um, I called the nurse into my room. I said, I want to make a confession to you. I'm dying. But I want to tell you, I believe in God, and I've really tried to live a good life. She says, oh, Miss Bailey, don't tell God when to take you. He know when to take you. I said, let me shut up with this one. (laughs) And she came by. She said, good morning, Miss Bailey, how are you? I said, I don't know. I seem to die in the night, but I come alive in the day. (laughs) My daughter saw me with all these tubes. She told the social worker, Miss Springer, I want you to get an alert bracelet for my mother. 
I want you to get somebody in here to take care of my mother because my mother will never be able to help herself again. I said, Miss Springer, can I say something? She said, yeah. I said, you see these tubes? When they come out, I'm up in the air again. When they took these tubes out, I just finished covering 17 states and three islands. Is there a God? Who? Just the faith of a mustard seed. I don't have to have a whole lot. Don't you give me my life? Yes, you do. You give me my life along with my higher power. I came to believe there was a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. And it meant that I better change my thinking and my actions if I want to stay sober. I made that decision one day to turn my life and my will over to the care of a God of my understanding. I thank God that I did that. I've taken my inventory many, many times, and the longer I'm sober, the more comes to the surface that he knows that I can handle. I can admit to God, to myself, and another human being the exact natures of my wrongs today, and I must do that. And you've heard some of the speakers over this weekend tell you that we get out of bondage here. I'm free, free at last. Woo! Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Some kid says, there, Liz, Martin Luther King went to the top of the mountain, but I'd be damned if you ain't been through the mountains. <laughs> Today I can honestly tell you that I humbly ask God to help me with my character defects. I can't do it myself. I need help. I humbly ask him to help me with my shortcomings. Humble myself to him every day. It took me 20 years, don't let it take you 20 years, to get the key to my life. 20 years. And that is to seek God first in his kingdom and his righteousness for all things to be added unto me. I get up now at 3 o'clock this morning. Good morning, God. Instead of, oh, God, it's another morning. I used to hate to see another day come. For 23 years, I make him first before I deal with you or anybody else. Try it. It works gorgeous. Try it. I've only had two sick bouts in 23 years. Two sick bouts. And he keeps bringing me back stronger and stronger. He'll do the same for you. It's no secret what God can do. What he does for others, he can do for you. With his arms wide open, he can bring you through. We're overcomers. This too shall pass. Nothing stays the same way. And live each day. He's our father. Give us this day, not next week, this day. Our daily bread. He'll give you the strength. Never mind that. But our daily bread. Lead you not into temptation. I went to my granddaughter's wedding in May. Thirteen people around the table. Everyone was drinking but me. You should see me get up the next morning and call into group. Come and send somebody to get me to a meeting fast. I'm sitting in a lion's den. I don't have a whip, a gun, or a chair. <laughs> get me out of here. And this child came and took me to two meetings before I went to that wedding. Because I, I, I don't deal with drinking people. And I was sitting around in that. And even with 43 years, I have to protect my sobriety. I'm telling you, yeah, because I'm not cured. And the privilege that I've had here lately, I must tell it to you. The commissioner of Hempstead has been calling me to speak to ministers, rabbis, Teachers, counselors, 
And I've asked the ministers to please stop throwing us out of their churches. I said, because I'm not cured, I have a spiritual sickness, and if I come to your church, I must be searching for something. And I know AA taught me AA in home, AA in your job, AA in socializing, and AA in religion, if you care to go back to religion. And I guarantee you, if you've got any AA under your belt, you'll understand your religion so much better if you choose to go back to it. And there again, I've had that privilege of speaking to 19 ministers at a breakfast. And they got up, Sister Bailey? Boy, we've been sitting in denial for years. I'm going to have you speak at my church. You've got to speak to my congregation. So I've been speaking in churches here lately to the congregations, carrying the message of Alcoholics Anonymous to them. Because you got a lot of them deacons who could use us. <laughs> Even down to some of the ministers. Believe me. When I'm wrong, I promptly admit it. I have to because it eats at me. And when I'm right, I shut up. I don't try to prove to anybody anymore where I'm coming from. Because three of you out there hear me in three different ways. It's the place that you're in that you hear me. Every day I take time out for God. Not one day out of a week. Every day I give him time. I praise him, I love him, and I thank him for each day. And they tell us after they've had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message in all our fears. I thank God for that. Because I do try to carry a message. I don't tell you I carry a message. Before I close, I would like to thank Connie with all my heart and love for taking me on the boat the other day. And that's something I try to do in New York. I make Liz Bailey days. I have to. And I get on the boat. It's called the Circle Line. And I just ride around Manhattan. Go off and be still for yourself and see the beautiful gift of God has for you. I want to again thank Jack for the letters, the calls, the love, and Gay, you're gorgeous. And for all of you that came, especially to be with me this weekend, I'd break down and cry if I just tell you how much I love you and just thank you for helping me make another 24 hours. I live for just a day. Thank you, Vicky. I love you so. She's sitting next to the lady in the pink. You can hit her for me. She is so gorgeous. These girls were with me. And one thing I want to say, I've been speaking to 800 women, 850 I think was in Chicago. I just came from Washington, D.C. speaking to 700 women. I've been on the coast of Georgia speaking to over 350 women. Go to these affairs and next year bring a friend with you to this affair. I want to thank the committee. I never want to leave the committee out because you've worked for one solid year faithfully with each other. And that's something to work with each other with personalities. <laughs> it is really something because we come from all walks of life. Yale and jail, Park Avenue and the park bench. 
but we all seem to work together. And I would love to see the love continue to go throughout AA. When I came in here, there was nothing but love given to me. And when someone speaks to you at one of these meetings, say hello to them. Just one word, hello. That has saved so many people's lives by me standing at the door of my group saying hello. They used to say, oh, there goes Miss A.A. You can call me anything. But when you come to my home, I hope to welcome you into my home. You are my family. You understand me. You give me so much love now, I'm going to go home and just come down. And every Monday is Liz Bailey Day. I don't get out of my gown on a Monday because I've been three to four days just going and going and making time. Find someone to help like Bill Wilson did. I had the privilege of speaking for Bill Wilson and he gave me the big book. He said, Dearest Liz, you're a magnificent demonstration of all that is AA. Affectionately yours, Bill. Bill was a beautiful person. Lois was beautiful. The last time I spoke with Lois, we spoke in Sing Sing. And we took pictures. But they didn't give us the pictures because I'm saying cheese and taking the picture and the warden is saying sex and the warden was drunk so they wouldn't give us the pictures. So I never got that picture of Lois and myself. But here again, we're in a fellowship of men and women who share their strength, hope, and experience with each other. And Liz Bailey has one primary purpose. And that's to stay sober. And hope that I can touch just one of you here this morning. That's my purpose of sharing. Just to reach one of God's children. And if I've reached just one of you this morning, then I, Liz, I have not lived in vain. Thank you so much.